Hope everybody's doing well today. It sounds like it. It's, uh, man, it's a little rowdy in here this morning. I like it. I like it. Um, no, I love being here with you on Sunday mornings. I know I say it every single week, just about every single week, but I really do. I love being here, and I love worshiping with you all, um, and I love being a part of your family here, of our family here. Um, and I really mean it when I say that, so I just want to say it again. I love it. Um, I, hope, uh, I hope you've enjoyed the last couple of weeks of this sermon series that we're calling CORE. Um, it's, uh, it's been a good one, and I, I've really enjoyed it. You know, we've, we've kind of talked about these, the, the vineyard distinctives. What does it mean for us to be a vineyard church, capital vineyard community church? Um, that is a thing, the Vineyard Church, Vineyard USA. It's a national organization, and we are a part of it. So what does it mean for us to be a part of a vineyard church? And vineyard has these 16 distinctives that are just kind of statements that are a little bit descriptive of like the personality of the vineyard movement or, the vi- or what it means to be, or uh, the personality of, of, of vineyard churches as a whole. Um, and we've talked about three of those so far. So the first week we talked about the main and the plain. And uh, the main and the plain is just basically means we're always going to go back to scripture. We're always going to ask, what does the scripture say? What does the Bible say? That's going to inform us in all of our decisions. What does the Bible say? How do we live it? Um, and all of that thing. So that's the main and the plain. Week two, we talked about everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. There's, there's a part and there's a role and there's a position and there's a, an opportunity for everyone. In this thing, there, everyone gets to play. You know, when Vineyard set out, one of, the, one of the key things for them in the movement was the leadership. Is, uh, the leadership of the Vineyard um, really said, you know what, it's our job to equip the church for ministry. It's not our job necessarily to do the ministry or to be the only uh, people doing the ministry. It's our job to, to equip the church, the body, to do the ministry. And so, um, and, and, and so that's where everyone gets to play. There's a role for everybody. There's a part for everybody to play in that. One of the roles that I have enjoyed um, and that, I, that I've been doing is, is really um, working with that and trying to equip new leaders and speakers and teachers. We got to experience that last week when Jeremy West got up here. Um, yes. Uh, and he did a great job talking about how the, the distinctive faith is spelled R-I-S-K. So that was the third distinctive. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And he elaborated on that, that idea. Um, and and that the idea that our personal walk with Christ, there's risk involved. If we're going to follow God and we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to do this thing and we're going to do it boldly, there's going to be some risky uh, things in that. Uh, and, and whether that means risky for our, for our finances or whether that means risky for um, our actual lives or risky for how, how our standing in society all, there, there's going to be risk involved if we're going to live out our faith in Christ. Um, and uh, and I, I love the quote from C.S. Lewis. If, if you've ever read the, the books, The Chronicles of Narnia, um, in those books, Aslan is the lion. And Aslan, the, as, as the lion, he is like the, the type of God. He is, the, he is like, he is God, he, the image of God or whatever, right? So Aslan is God in these stories. Um, and, uh, and there's an interaction between Susan, one of the children, and Mr. Beaver, um, and, and they're talking back and forth about Aslan, and, and Mr. Beaver says this. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king. I tell you, man, that, I love that idea. I love that picture. God's not safe. 
God, is, he's not safe, but he's good, right? He's not safe. If we want to be comfortable, if we want to be safe, that, this is not the place to be, right? Following Jesus is not a safe thing. God is not a safe being or person, if you want to call it that, right? But we get to follow him, and he's good in what we're doing. So I'm not going to preach Jeremy's message again, although I'm tempted to. Um, he did a great job. Um, but that was last week's message. Faith is spelled risk. This week, we are talking about, um, well, this is the fourth and the final week of our series, Core. And so we said there were 16, so we've talked about three, so we're going to fit the last 13 into this week right now. So buckle up. We're getting ready. No, I'm just joking. Okay, so we just picked four, and we're just going to do one more. And maybe we'll come back to them. But this week, we're going to talk about the distinctive that says we are, as a vineyard, we are worshipers of God, rescuers of people, right? Worshippers of God, rescuers of people. Now, just to get this out of the way, because my wife brought it up to me, and I realize that's where we all want to go, we have no power whatsoever to do any saving, all right? That does not lie within me. That, that power, that's, that's Jesus. That's Jesus' power. Um, but, so that's not what we're saying. So we just, let's just get that out of the way so we can focus on what this is actually going to be and what this is actually going to be. So it's not within our strength to do the saving, but we are as we'll talk about in just a minute, called to be rescuers, okay? So let's get there. As a Vineyard Church, Capital Vineyard Community Church, a defining characteristic, a personality trait of ours is that we are worshipers of God and rescuers of people. That's how I want to be known in this community. I want to be a worshiper of God and a rescuer of people. When I speak those words, God and people, they stand out, right? Worshiper of God, rescuer of people, and it really reminds me of a statement that Jesus made um, in, in an interaction with some scribes and some Pharisees and some teachers of the law. So we're going to go there this morning. It's not exactly the same, a worshiper of God and, and, and rescuer of people, but we're going to go there. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34, all right? So Mark chapter 12, 38 to 24, open your Bibles, get into them, read them up on the screen, however you want to do it. Um, but we're going to read this scripture. So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus heard, or when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So as we read this scripture... Context, right? It's important. So, so context, where does this fall? What is, what's going on in this thing? So let's look at that real quick. Um, the, this, this passage comes directly after the triumphal entry, okay? The triumphal entry, and that's where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. If you look at the book of Mark, all right, let's do this. If you look at the book of Mark, um, you'll see, like, there's, there's a lot of time that's passing, right? So it's like event, history, healing, uh, teaching, miracle, all these things, right? All these things are happening real quick, boom, right after one, right after another, and it's kind of moving at a fast pace, and all of a sudden you hit the triumphal entry, and boom, it 
slows down and everything expands a little bit, right? And, and we really focus on the last part of Jesus' life within the book of Mark. It's, it's really kind of a, it slows everything down and starts looking. So most of the, the, the last part of the book of Mark is just all in Jerusalem. So this event happens right after Jesus gets to Jerusalem. And the triumphal entry is when Jesus walks in or he rides in on a colt um, into Jerusalem and people are shouting, Hosanna, like they're celebrating, right? Hosanna, Hosanna, oh, blessed, blessed is, is the coming of our, of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. People are singing praises to Jesus, and they're cutting off branches, and they're laying branches. This is Palm Sunday. They're putting branches on the ground in front of him as Jesus walks in to Jerusalem. They're celebrating this, this Messiah. Some of them understand that he is the Messiah. They may not understand really what that means, but they're celebrating the, the coming of the Messiah, and so Jesus, after, after this, he goes into Jerusalem, he goes straight to the temple, and it says that he gets to the temple and he looks around, but it's late, so he goes away, right? He, goes, he says he goes to Bethany. So he goes, not home, but he goes to Bethany. Um, and then he returns the next morning. And when he returns the next morning, it's like he, he's, he's checking out what's going on the night before, and he returns the next morning, and he starts cleaning house, right? This is where he starts starts flipping over tables of the money changers and benches of of the of the people that are selling things and he's like get out like this is not a place for you to do your dirty business this is a place this this place is going to be a, a a house of prayer this is this is my father's house get out out with that stuff right and and he does all that stuff and then jesus starts um doing some teaching and and he starts uh af after he cleans house and sets the table and all that kind of stuff he starts doing some teaching um and people start are drawn to him. People will start listening to him. And it says that at that point, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they started looking for a way to kill him because they were afraid of how the people listened and how the people paid attention to this guy who was teaching these things that it wasn't quite all, all wasn't always lining up with what they were teaching, right? And they were, they were jealous in a way, and they, and they were afraid that these teachings were not what they should be uh, what the people should be learning. And then it says, the next day, so Jesus does that, and he goes back, and he comes back the next day. So the third time that Jesus gets to the temple, it says that they started to try and trap him, right? They started to try and discredit him, and, and they were asking questions like, whose authority do you say all these things under, right? Like, how, who, who are you to say that this, all, all of these things, right? And they start to ask him, like, questions to try and, like, catch him on technicalities and, and talk about, like, well, Caesar, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar and all of those things, right? And they come up with this, this convoluted hypothetical question about a woman who marries someone, but her, her husband dies and they don't have any kids, and so his brother marries her because that was what you were supposed to do according to the law, right? You are supposed to marry. If there were no children, you are supposed to marry the widow of your brother and that thing. But then that happens, like, six more times, so this woman is married seven times, and... and and, and whose wife is she at the resurrection? And Jesus is like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? It doesn't even matter. Like, why are we, why are we talking about this? Like, that, you're, you're totally missing the point. Um, and, and he kind of goes into that a little bit and explains. But, but they're just coming up with these scenarios of, like, to try and trap him, okay? And it's in that context that this guy comes to Jesus, and I don't know if his question is sincere or if he's just trying to trap Jesus again too, but it says one of the scribes, one of the teachers, comes to Jesus, and he asks him the question. He says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? 
of all the commandments, because we got a lot of them, which is the most important, Jesus? And I think about that question, and as I was processing it this week, I'm like, man, that's a, that's a bad question. That's just a bad place to start. It's already revealing your heart. Because how, what, what does it mean if something is the most important? What does it mean if it's, for something to be important, it means that, that it's higher than the others, right? It's, it has more value. It's elevated above the rest. And why do you need to know if something is more important? Because you want to start setting up priorities according to that, right? Because if, if something is important, then that's going to be a priority to me, and I'm going to try and follow that. I'm going to try and do that. And maybe some of the lesser things I'm not going to be as concerned about, right? So he's saying, which of, uh, essentially he's saying, which of God's laws is more important than God's law? Which of God's commandments are more important than the other of God's commandments? You see what he's doing? I don't know if he's doing it intentionally or if it's just a mindset, but he's essentially saying, which of God's laws is important for me to follow and which are not? Which, which don't matter if I don't quite do them? It's kind of what he's asking, right? He, he's getting at this thing. It's just a bad question from the get-go. It's just a bad question to start off with. And Jesus, Jesus does what Jesus tends to do. When somebody asks him a question and they're trying to trap him and they're trying to get him to this point, he, he answers the question, but he doesn't take it where they want to go. He takes it to a totally different spot. He's not going to play their game. And he says this. He says, the most important one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and the strength. So love God, and the second one is to love people. second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love people. Now that sounds a little familiar, right? We're going to be called worshipers of God and rescuers of people. It's not exactly the same, and we'll get to that. But love God and love people. And in Matthew, this version of the story, it says that Jesus says all of the law, all of the commandments hang on these two, okay? None, nothing is greater than these. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two. In other words, Jesus is saying, that's it, right? That's the law, the whole law. So this guy is coming to Jesus, and he says, you know, what's the most important law? What's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing that I should be fulfilling? And Jesus answers him by saying, the whole law. <laughs> like, all of the commandments, they're all important. The most important commandments are all of the commandments, because these two things sum up everything. These two things sum up everything. There's nothing greater than them. No law, no commandment greater than them. Everything that the law was designed to accomplish is wrapped up in those two things. Love God and love your neighbor. And what this guy is failing to understand is by, by asking this question of which individual law is more important to uphold than, than other individual commandments is that all of the laws and all of the commandments were designed for the same purpose, to love God and to love your neighbor. And if according to the law and the commandments, you can, you, you can perfectly do those two things, perfectly by fulfilling all the commandments, you can perfectly love God and you can perfectly love your neighbor, well, then you're good and you're, you're golden, right? You've done what you're supposed to do because by fulfilling the laws and the commandments, you're loving God and you're loving your neighbor. But if you don't do it perfectly, well, then you're sunk. Because that's what the law says. 
And Jesus is saying, if you're picking and you're choosing which commandment, if you're trying to decide which is more important, which do I need to do, well, then you've already missed it because you're deciding which ones don't I, don't I need to do, and then you've not done it perfectly, and then it's sunk, right? You're sunk. According to the law, it's done. Because they're all necessary in order for you to love God and to love people perfectly according to the law, by fulfilling the law. Missing one means you didn't do it perfectly. Now, I hope we understand as we're looking at this that Jesus is talking to a Jewish scribe, a Jewish uh, Pharisee, a, a Jewish teacher of the law. And this man was trying to live under the law. This man was trying to fulfill the law in order to perfectly do it. We don't live under that law. We live under a law of grace, okay? And because Jesus fulfilled the law, Jesus did do it perfectly. Jesus did love God with all that, was, all that he had. And Jesus did love his neighbor perfectly in every, in every scenario, right? Jesus did it perfectly. Jesus died. He paid the penalty for, for not fulfilling it. Therefore, he paid our penalty when we can't fulfill it. So now we're under, a, uh, we're under grace. We're not under the law anymore. So why are we talking about law? Why are we talking which is the great, why, why are we even doing this? Why are we talking about which is the greatest commandment of, of, of loving God and loving people? I think it's because the law and the commandments, all of them reveal to us God's heart. They reveal to us God's desire for our lives. Not because it puts us in any more right relationship with, with him or because, or, but, but because it's God's desire for us more than anything. It's God's desire for us more than anything in this world that we would love him. And that we would love what he loves, his people. That's God's desire for us. That's what God wants for our lives, that we would love him and that we would love what he loves with everything that is in our being, all of our soul, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, with everything that is in us, that we would love him and that we would love his people. The law still shows us that. I know it was a long way around, but now we're back to our statement, okay? Now we're back to our, our distinctive that we are worshipers of God and rescuers of people because... What I see is that worshiping God and, and rescuing people comes out of loving God and loving people. That's how we come back around to this. So, so our first point is, is that worshiping God comes from loving God, all right? Worshiping God comes from loving God. Worship is an expression of our love for God. It is a response to him. And as much as we can come together as a community, as much as we can gather here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or, or whatever we gather Wednesday night with youth, whatever it is, as, as much as we can gather as a community and we can worship together as a community, worship is an individual act. Always, worship is about me and God, me and God. It's always, we can do it together, we can do it in the same place, but it's always about, it's an individual activity. We can come together and we can worship at the same time, but it's still me and God. So while we say we're worshiping together, really it's, it's, a, it's a group of individuals worshiping God together in the same place in the same time. And it's an incredible experience. Worship was fantastic this morning. 
as we, as we did it that way, right? It's an incredible experience. I'll never forget the first youth conference that I attended. And there were 5,000 teenagers in one place singing and worshiping and crying out to God. I will never forget that. It's an incredible experience. But in the sea of those 5,000 people, worship still came down to me and God. I was still worshiping him one-on-one. Nobody else can worship for you. It's, one, it's an individual thing. Worship comes out of a reverence and a personal relationship and a personal love for God. We worship God because we love him. We worship him because he deserves any praise, any adoration, any gift that we can possibly give him. So what is worship? I think worship can be anything that is dedicated to God. Anything that is dedicated to God, anything that we are doing for him, anything that we are doing for, to, to please him, to bring recognition, to bring praise to his name. I mean, think about it. And when you think about worship, when we talk about worship, we, 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 a lot of times we talk about arts, creative arts, right? So singing, that's what we do corporately because it's something we can do together. But we talk about arts, and, and we, so we can worship by singing, uh, we can worship by, by, by dancing, we can worship by physical art, the creation of, of art in order to, to honor God, doing it that way, Right? We can worship by giving. We can, I mean, we talk about it every, every Sunday morning when we do our offering. We talk about giving to God as an act of worship because we are dedicating a portion of our personal finances to God. We're giving it to him and we're saying, God, use this. We're honoring you with this. It's all worship because it's all dedicated to him, right? When we dedicate things to him, it's worship. Jesus was interacting with a woman in John chapter 4. And there's a lot of stuff happening in this whole scenario. But she, but she says this, John chapter 4, 19 to 24. She says, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when, we, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans believe, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. This woman's kind of like trying to pick a fight with Jesus a little bit. Like there's some, some discrepancy, some, some animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. And one of those things is where we worship and how we worship. And so she's trying to pick this fight and Jesus does it again. He takes it in a different direction. And, and, and he says, with this statement, he's basically saying, look, there is no place where you have to worship. Right? He's saying, he's saying there's no formula for worship. He says, you think we need to worship up here, and I say we need to worship over here, but there is no formula for worship. There is no place, there is no schedule, there is no minimum or maximum number of people. There is no physical requirements for worship. You don't have to bring a bull, you don't have to bring a calf, you don't have to bring doves. That's, that, that's not, there is no formula for worship. We're, the kind of worship that the Father seeks are those who worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit, wherever we are, we're at whatever we're doing, and in truth, in the sincerity of heart, and in the truth of the gospel through Jesus Christ. So there's no purpose. 
we're, we're not worshiping for the purpose of being noticed by other people. We're not worshiping um, in, order, in order to please God, in order to gain approval from God. But anywhere and everywhere we choose to honor God with our voices, with our actions, with our thoughts, that is what God is looking for in worship. I was talking with somebody in our driveway when we first moved up here. They were walking, and they came up, and they just introduced themselves and said, hey, how are you doing? Welcome to the neighborhood. And, and I told them why we came, and we were, we're working with this church, starting this church. And, and, um, and uh, he said, oh, that's great. Well, we worship over here at this place. And I knew what he was saying. And it, was kinda, it, just, it just struck me a, a little bit different, like to ask the question, oh, yeah, well, where do you worship? It was just kind of a, a different interaction and, and a thought, and I just kind of kept it and I processed it. Well, on the way to church this morning, the thought hit me like, yes, I worship here at Capitol Vineyard on Sunday mornings. But then I worship on my way when I go back home. I worship in the car rider line with my kids. I worship I, here. I worship there. I worship when I'm in the shower. It's like I worship. It doesn't matter. There is no place. So, so to say and, and this is not what he meant, but to say, you know, I worship here kind of gives the 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 illusion or the whatever the scenario that i can i only worship on sunday mornings because i can only worship in my church but that's not the truth the truth is worship is wherever and whenever we choose to honor god with our actions and all of that is a deeply individual and a deeply personal thing and it comes from a personal relationship with jesus we worship god we worship jesus because we love him, because we know that he loves us. To be known as a worshiper of God. That's, that's what I want. I want to be known as a worshiper of God. If I leave this planet today, put it on my tombstone. He worshiped God. That's what I want. Three words. That's what I want to be known as. A worshiper of God. And that's what I want us to be known as, as a church. Those people worship God. Those are worshipers of God. And worshiping God comes from loving God. The second part of our distinctive today, worshipers of God, rescuers of people, rescuing people comes from loving people. Rescuing people comes from loving people. God's heart, God's desire for our lives is that we would love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and that we would love what he loves the people that he created. I believe that. I believe that. And I believe that loving the people that he created means doing what we can to rescue the people that he created. We already said that saving people is, is the work of Jesus. He does that. God does that. It's not in my power. But I think of it this way, all right? Think of it this way. You're on a boat, and there's somebody out in the water drowning. They're staying afloat, but barely. You can see them hanging out there, but they're drowning. If they don't get help, they're going down, right? If they don't get help, they're, they're, they're not going to make it. There's no way around it. And on the boat, you've got a life preserver, one of those little orange and white round things that look pretty and they look like nautical decoration, but really they have a purpose. And the purpose is to throw that out to somebody who is in the water and to pull them back in, right? That's a life preserver. That's, that's the point of a life preserver. 
because the deal is we can't swim either. So you can't swim to, to go out there and to save that person. You don't have the power to save that person, but what you do have is the life preserver, and you get to throw it to them. You get to, to, to throw it out for them and to pull them back in. That's the work of a rescuer, okay? We get to carry the saving power of the gospel to the people around us who are drowning. That's us. We get to do that. There's no way around it. These people are going down. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, people are going down. Without a relationship, they're, they're, they're going to drown. They're going to go to hell. It's the reality of it. I didn't say I like it, but I said it's the truth and it's the reality. And we get to take the power of the gospel, the saving knowledge, the saving relationship, the life change, and we get to offer that to people. That's us. That's the work of a rescuer. We get to be the one that takes the life preserver. We get to share the good news and the hope of a life and a relationship with Jesus. We're rescuers of people. And where rescuers, where, excuse me, where worship is singular, me and God, rescuing is about them and God. Worship is me and God, rescuing is them and God. And if we love people, and I mean really love them. That we care about their eternal lives. And we're going to take our life preserver to them. How can we love someone? How can we truly love people and yet pass them by without ever saying a word? And without ever doing anything about their spiritual condition? Without sharing the love of Jesus with them? In some way. In a little way, in a big way, saying it, coming out right, saying, do you know Jesus? Or coming out and, and you know, giving them a smile and saying, hey, how's it going today? Because that can lead to a conversation, right? I might have shared this before, um, but Penn, Penn Gillette of the, the magic duo Penn and Teller, if you've ever met them or have ever seen them, they're kind of funny. Uh, but Penn Gillette is, a, is, a, is an atheist, like a, a well-known, outspoken atheist. He just doesn't believe in God. He thinks it's preposterous. Um, but he's always said this. He says, as an atheist, I respect people who try and proselytize me, right? I respect people who try and convince me that, that I need Jesus, is what he's saying. The per he, he respects the person who wants to share their faith with him. In hopes that he would be convinced. Because what he says is, as an atheist, he says, my logic is, if you really believe that there is a hell, and you really believe that unless I think like you do, I'm going there, these are his words, not mine, how much do you have to hate me to not share that with me? If we love people, we will share the good news with them. We will be the vehicle for the gospel, for spreading love, and for, for, for the people, the vehicle for people finding life in Jesus. And we can throw the life preserver to somebody that's out there drowning. We can throw that out there, and they can say, no, I'm waiting for a different boat. Keep on rolling. We can throw the life preserver out there, and they can, they can say, you know what? That's just a crutch. I got this. And I'm just going to keep on floating, right? We can throw that out there and they can say, why do I need that? I'm not drowning. 
This water is just an illusion. There's nothing there. But the reality is there's no other boat coming. The reality is that that, that life preserver is the only thing that's going to help them float. And they are in the water. It's the truth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. So that I might become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I want to be described as a rescuer of people. As a church, we are about rescuing people. I want to do whatever it takes for people to find life in Jesus. I want to do that personally, I want to do that individually, and I want to do that corporately as a church. We're not always going to do it perfectly. I walk by plenty of people and don't make eye contact. It's just the truth. But I want to do it. I want to be challenged to do it. Because it's part of our calling, it's part of our DNA. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Well, I guess we better find a way to do that, right? If he's, he's calling us as a church to do that, then we better go do it. So we're going to be pushing more into that as a church. What can we do to share God's love with people? What can we do to meet physical needs in order to have an opportunity to meet spiritual needs, to present that, to share God's love with them, to share the good news of Jesus with them? Worshipers of God and rescuers of people. And my last point is this that those two ideas can't be separated. You cannot separate those two things. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, loving God and loving people can't be separated. The whole law and all of the commandments is wrapped up in those teams and those two things. It is a picture of God's desire for our life that we would love him because we have a relationship with him, because we understand his love with us or for us, and that we would love other people because we understand his love for them. 1 John 4, 19 to 21 says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or, and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. God loves his people. I'm not talking about the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. I'm talking about people. God loves his created people. And if we love God, then we love his people because we understand his love for others. That's what all this boils down to. And I think that has to be reflected in our vision as a church. That we can't just exist to worship God, whether that's on a Sunday morning or whether that's five nights a week. We can't just exist to worship God. We don't do outreach, we don't do uh, healing prayer, we don't do helping the poor, we don't do evangelism, we're just gathering for worship. I don't think that honors God. I don't think that's honoring to God because we're forgetting his love for other people. 
So we can't exist only for worship, but we also can't just exist for outreach and just for, just for meeting people's physical needs and caring for people in that way. We, th these two things are inseparable. If we only exist to rescue people, then we're just a charity organization. We're just Salvation Army, right? If we only exist to meet people's needs, to rescue people, then we're a charity organization. Or at best, we're an evangelistic organization, but we're not a church. If we only exist to worship, then we're just a religious club. We're not a church. We are an organization that exists to worship our Father and to bring others into relationship with Him so that they can worship Him, so that they can know Him and His love for them. This is the flavor of our church, worshipers of God, rescuers of people, and we can't separate those two things. Why don't you guys come back up to your feet? We gather together to worship our creator on Sunday morning or whatever day of the week. But we gather together to worship. But we don't do it just to stay here. We do it to go out then and to take the message to other people. We're going to go back into another time of worship like we always do. Our prayer team, we're going to have people at the back if you would like prayer. And I would just encourage you as as we go into these next two songs, we got two more songs. As we go into these next two songs, make it personal. Make it individual worship because nobody in this room can worship for you. If we're just standing here and letting everybody else worship, whether it's, and I'm not saying you got to sing. I'm just saying if we're just standing here and we're not worshiping, we're not focused, then, then we're not worshiping God. Worship comes from a personal devotion, a personal relationship, a personal understanding of God's love for you. So I want to challenge you, worship God. If that means sitting down in your seat and worshiping God, then sit down in your seat. If that means going back to the communion tables and taking communion, then go do that. But I want to encourage you, worship God. If you need prayer for, for anything, but if you need prayer specifically because there's somebody that's been on your heart and you need the courage, you need the, the motivation, whatever it is, the words, the wisdom to talk to that person, to bring up a conversation about Jesus, about your faith, all you got to do is start with, listen, this is what God's done in my life. They can't argue with that. That's all you got to do. I know it takes courage, though. So if you want prayer for that, people are back there. They want to pray with you about that or about anything else. We're just going to move into to some more worship, and um, we're going to focus on God a little bit more.